Welcome to the Your Destiny Podcast. I picked my Bible up last night and I have a nice case for it. And the problem with cases, this case, is it has a zip around it. And if you forget to zip it up and then pick it up by the handle, the Bible falls out. And all the wonderful markers that you've put in, in preparation. So I just picked it up and closed it. So I'm, I'm hoping they're still in the right places. Otherwise, we'll either have to spend a bit of time hunting for some verses or we'll just read some other ones. Okay. Um, so welcome. Obviously, uh, you're jumping into <laughs> the, the middle of um, what we've been talking about for quite some time now, but try and keep everybody on the same page. Uh, so we'll have a little we'll have a little resume of of what we talked about last week, or who we talked about last week. Do you remember who we talked about last week? I know you've had a lot of activity since last Tuesday. Significant people in the Old Testament, particularly one of whom was David, and we hopefully realised that I made this quite controversial statement that activity cannot destroy anointing, right? which is important because a lot of people are like really scared that either they're going to do something wrong or they have done something wrong and that has somehow destroyed whatever anointing they believe God has put on their lives. And then the, challenge, the, the, the problem with that scenario is you then spend... You're then going down a road and you don't know where the road leads. You hope the road leads back to getting your anointing back. (laughs) But you don't know if it ever will. Um, Therefore, you don't really know, you know, what to do, what not to do. You know, you've got certain parameters, but you're walking down a road that fundamentally you're like, "Uh, God help me. And I want to suggest to you that you don't, that, that is not a road you need to walk down because your activity cannot destroy what God has decided is going to happen in your life. Okay. David being a great example. Okay. In that God anointed him fairly early on and then he did some really unhelpful stuff that you and I would have said completely destroyed um, God's faith in him. Because what we do at that point, or what I do at that point is, when I read stories like that, I subconsciously, not on purpose, of course, step into the God character. And I start beginning to imagine how I would have dealt with David if I were God. Yeah? And because because that's how I believe God will deal with me if I do something like David did. And, you know, we just get into a very conditional love and, you know, God is very angry with me and, and all those things that actually we don't really believe or we hope we don't believe, but we discover that we do believe when we do something unhelpful. Um, so we just want to, hi Phil, um, just want to welcome Phil into the room, 
<clears throat> so, and, and bear in mind, that whole David thing happened in the Old Testament when there was more of a, I, I won't make a, 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 like a, a categoric statement about how God interacted, you know, full stop in the Old Testament with people, but generally there were some anointing, you know, some folk were anointed, some folk weren't, and it seemed a bit conditional. Um, but then when Jesus comes, you remember we looked, and Matthew is writing and introducing Jesus to the world, and presumably Holy Spirit is inspiring Matthew to write, and Matthew's penning this genealogy of Jesus. And what does Matthew put? Jesus, the son of David. And you and I would have put Jesus, the son of God, because he is the son of God, right? But Jesus was happy to be known as the son of David. And you remember blind Bartimaeus? He sat on the roadside screaming, Jesus, son of David. Now, that's not to elevate David or to condone David's um, unfortunate behavior, but it does, for me, give us a picture of what God is like, which is, you know, slightly different to what I thought he was like. So we're going we're gonna, to, this morning, look at a little bit of the story of someone else um, who was a significant person in the New Testament. But do you remember we looked at that verse, didn't we? Acts, Acts thirteen twenty two. Let's just go back there, just because you know I, I I really want you to get hold of this. Um, so Acts, did I leave a marker in this one? Acts thirteen twenty two, and it's Paul giving an account of the the history of uh, the Jewish nation. So verse 21, they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of (coughs) Benjamin for 40 years. And then when he had deposed him, he raised up David to be their king. Of him he bore witness and said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Now, that is a reference, if you go back to uh, 1 Samuel 13, 14. 1 Samuel 13, 14 says, Samuel speaking to Saul, you have done foolishly, you have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you for the Lord, would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now... Your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord (coughs) has sought out David, a man after his own heart. And if I could be remembered for anything, I would love to be remembered as a man after God's own. Because it just is, begs, it begs the question, doesn't it? Well, what, what's in God's heart then? That 
David can be described as a man after, you know, like David sort of, I'm trying to think of the right word, expresses very clearly the heart of God. Okay? And we could, you know, we could study the life of David for the next five months and and find out more about that. But the point I was I was wanting to make last week and I'll make again this morning with with the example of somebody else is that God just looks at you differently than you do. All right? And God looks at you differently than the way you think God looks at you. Right? Because I can look at me and come up with a lot of reasons which aren't helpful in terms of how God would see me. And then I can think, well, how does God see me? And I can come up with either the same list or another list. Right? And I want to suggest to you that if God has a list, it's very different to yours. <laughs> All right? Or perhaps yours used to be. Hopefully, you know, you've, you know, you've been here for a week or two. Maybe you're crossing one or two things off that list and adding some things in terms of who you are. You remember um, a few weeks ago we talked about uh, Ephesians 2.10. You are his masterpiece. Right? I hope that's on your list. Right? You know? Okay. I just want to, th- I just, just, but I just want to do this now um, by way of, you might think, oh, what on earth's going on? But this just came to me this morning. So I just sometimes have to go with what, um, what is, what is, you know, what what God God just drops in. So I just I just want to look look up something that's not in my notes. So just give me a second. Okay. I haven't done enough research, so I don't know if Paul starts all his letters like this. Okay, but Paul in in Ephesians chapter one and verse one says this: Paul. An apostle, special special messenger of Christ Jesus, the Messiah, by the divine will, the purpose and choice of God, to the saints, the consecrated, set apart ones at Ephesus. May God's grace. Right. So, Paul is writing a letter, a communication to the saints at Ephesus. Who is he writing to? Who are these people? These saints at Ephesus. Does any? No, I'm just interested. Do you have an opinion? The church. Yeah. Okay. Anybody in particular in the church? The people in the church. Which? church in Ephesus? Pardon? The church he started. Okay. The church of Jesus Christ. Right? You see, I I don't wish to create 
you know, a tangent for us to walk down, but it's just another one of these examples for me. It's an opportunity for us to look at that and unless we really know who we are and who God says we are, we would, we would say, oh, well, he's not writing to me. At the very least, he's writing to the leaders of that really, really, really great church that's got 60,000 members in the center of Manchester, you know, because that's the significant church. That's the, the anointed church. That's the, you know, but he's not really writing to me and me, a member of Kingsway, a church of 100 people in the suburbs. Is he? I think he's writing to you. Now, the challenge, if you're willing to accept that he might just be writing to you, is really, really significant for me. Because what does he call you? Calls you a saint. Now you see, church history has segregated, right? No, and I'm not being disrespectful to the Catholic Church at all, right? But the Catholic Church have saints. I mean, the Anglican Church have, have saints in that all their churches are named after saints. Okay, so these really special people who've obviously done something at some point in history that's really significant, that is subsequently honoured and recognised by them being, is it venerated? Is that what you, I think that's, right? And they achieve this special status in the hierarchy of the company, they get the title saint. Well, what does that make me? I ain't one. If they are, I'm not. <laughs> okay. But what does Paul say? I am. You see, because you, you may have, you know, you may have had classes on, about this aspect of Christian, uh, Christian life before, but it's not really the road I'm going to fully walk down this morning. But I just wanted to just sort of like drop it in as one of those exploding candies. You know, have you ever had, do you, do you like crunchy? I love crunchy. You know that honeycomb that just pops in your mouth? Right? right. So I just want, a, I want to let a little bomb go off. You see, because, I mean, depending on your church background, um, and again, I'm not trying to poke fun, but I just love it. In certain circles, particularly in the, in the black majority churches, it's all about titles. And the, the commoners, your sister Rachel, your brother, right, Colin. And we're all brothers and sisters. And you would never say, hi, Rachel. You would say, hi, sister Rachel. And you, you know, you would never say, hi, Andy. You would say, hi, Pastor Andy. Or, you know, if I was further up the tree, you'd say, hi, Bishop Andy. Right? Okay. And, and we're all brothers and sisters. And we are, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But how comfortable would we be about saying, hello, Saint Rachel. <laughs> you see, because sometimes you just need to do something that is so far away from 
what you're comfortable with in terms of describing yourself and thinking about yourself. It, it actually exposes what you really think about yourself. If you had the choice, would you call yourself a saint? Yes or no? Probably not. Well, that letter's not written to you then. So just rip out Ephesians, right? Because it doesn't apply to you. You can't have, so you can't have any of those promises. All those promises that you'll, you're leaning on in Ephesians, they're not, they're not for you, right? You're not a saint. Or are you? So I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing a bit here. I'm just trying to get you to maybe take on a few scary ideas but as we've said before you know when we talked about you are a holy nation you are a royal priesthood royal people behave differently they do right it's a different world and saint i want to suggest to you that saintly people if they are living out of their identity, truly, will behave differently. Born a saint, live like a saint. Well, what about all that sinning stuff? Well, you know, that's been dealt with. <laughs> okay? I'm a saint now. I'm a saint. So if you still like that idea that you're a sinner saved by grace, you've not really got the whole package. You've not really fully cottoned on to chapter two or the second half of chapter one or whichever way you want to look at it. Right? Yes, you are a sinner saved by grace. But if you stop there, that's to me like, and I don't, mean, I don't mean to be disrespectful in any way. Hopefully, I'm not being disrespectful to the, the life and work and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's like going to a banquet and just having the starter. And getting so full on the, on the starter, which might be the best starter you've ever had in your entire life, right? And you think, wow, I never, I never knew starters could be this good. You know, I never knew the first course could be. But yeah, this soup. Oh, man. This, and the chef's busy in the kitchen with the caviar and the, you know, whatever. And then a message comes through. They don't want the main course. They're, they're all full on soup. It's like, what? So I just, I just want to throw that out. The saint. Sorry. You are a saint, right? You are a saint. Okay. So, just another another couple of verses to um, to help us along the way here with this idea. God, I love that. Um, let's just go back to um, one Samuel thirteen fourteen because I didn't really. It says God has sought out. David. In other words, God's gone looking for him. 
Okay, and you'll remember the story. Jesse had a bit of a, I don't know what, uh, uh, like um, what, whatever you'd call it, a, a moment when he's like, have you not got any more sons? I mean, what a question. Have you not got any more sons? <sighs> you would not want to be Jesse at that moment. It's like, oh, hang on. Let me, let me just think about how many kids have we got, dear? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah, there's one more in the field. <laughs> Go fetch. <laughs> right? God sought him out. God. Right, okay, let's have a look at another verse. Psalm 89, verse 3. Right? This is a staggering verse. This is one of the... Actually... Don't panic, this is not one of the Psalms that David wrote. So he's not writing about himself here, okay? Which is good to know. It says, verse 3. Well, I love verse 2. I'll read verse 2 as well. No, I'll read verse 1. I will sing, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. I will sing of the mercy and loving kindness of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness. From generation to generation. Let's just stop there. Don't get, don't ever get tired of telling your stories. Because they're yours. Right? I remember hearing somebody tell us, I think it might have been Phil, that uh, years ago, before Bill Johnson had seen God like heal quite so prolifically he only had one healing testimony didn't he and um when he pastored the church in weaverville so it's testimony time i've got a testing a healing testimony and it'd be the same story he told last week and then next week it's testimony time i've got a healing testimony and it'd be the story he told two weeks ago and he would tell the same story every week Look at it now, though. And that's not to go, whoa, Bill Johnson. That's to go, God, that's amazing. Right? Your story is your story. Right? And I'll just take a mo- I'll take, I'll, I'll take another side swipe here because I might not tell you this story again. Um, growing up as a child, I, uh, I suffered a lot with um, hay fever and allergy, you know, to pollen and stuff. And... I, it, it, it transpired, I had quite a few allergies, and <clears throat> I also developed eczema, right? Okay, so uh, quite often, life was not fun. My hands used to get incredibly itchy. Now, as you realize, I love to play the guitar and I play the piano, so I need my fingers to be nice and supple. And if I tell you that by the time I was 16, 17, in order to be able to do that, right, the eczema had caused the skin on my hands to get so tight I couldn't bend my fingers properly. And you know how when you have a bath or you have a shower in very hot water, your skin gets a bit more elasticity? In order to be able to play, I, you know, right, when we had a dance and drama group, so I'm 18, 19, 20, in order to be able to play the guitar for the music before we did our thing, 
I used to have to go to the bathroom, turn the hot tap on, right, and rub my hands under the hot water to the point at which, like, it's burning, it's burning, it's burning, but oh, I can actually move my fingers. But what was actually happening was the skin cracked open, right? Sorry if that's a bit, right? And, and I mean, the, the skin doesn't bleed at that point. It produces this lovely, cl- ghastly, clear liquid. It's really quite gross. But that was the only way I could get my fingers right, to bend. And we were in this dance and drama group. We went out week after week, and, you know, every week. And, and that, was, that was apart from all the other times when it was incredibly itchy. And the only way to get rid of the itching was to do the same thing. It was like the, the intense heat just seemed to relax the skin and the itching sort of dissipated a bit. And then a group of us, um, and I'd had all my allergy tests and I'd had my cortisone injections and everything and nothing, you know. What was happening was it would work for a while and then my immune system would adjust <laughs> and the stuff didn't work. And then I'd have another test and take some different drugs and it would work for a while and then my immune system would adjust. And so it was one of those, well, you know, you're going to be with it for the rest of your life. And a, a group of us, we had a dance and drama group, got together one evening, prayed for me, and something happened. And I don't know what, but all I know now is there ain't no cracks. Right? And... There's not been any cracks for a long time. Now, the, the thing, the, the, the reason I tell you that is because you can do what you like with that story, right? You can believe me, I don't care, right? But as long as I'm breathing, that is evidence to me, if I needed it, of how much my Heavenly Father loves me. It's my story. My story, it's my testimony. It's my story. <laughs> okay? It's part of my covenant with God. So, just, I would encourage you, no matter how significant or insignificant these incidents in life occur, where you just, you and God just like, make a note of them, right? Because what you do then is you pass them on to the next generation. You tell anybody and everybody. You tell your kids, you tell your grandkids, you tell your neighbor's kids, you tell complete strangers, you know. And it just is a way of God demonstrating his love. All right? Your faithfulness from generation to generation. I, so God speaking. I have said, verse 2 of Psalm 89. For I, I have said, mercy and loving kindness shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you will establish in the very heavens. You have said, right? So this is, the psalmist is quoting God. I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant, your seed, I will establish forever, build up your throne for all generations. And God 
has made a covenant with you. So, you can read that verse. I'm giving you permission to put your name in there. You can, like, underline the word David and in the margin you can write your name. Because you're no different. So God says, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to Philip, my servant. To Rachel, right? Okay? And I'm just, I'm just throwing that out as another, this is how God sees you. This is, this is how God is, is wanting to relate to you. He has, he's made a covenant with you. You are his chosen one. Okay, right. Let's have a look. So, so what we're going to do is we, we're just going to look for a few minutes at the life of somebody in the New Testament, and then we're going to do something different. We're going to watch a little movie. Okay. And you may or may not need tissues. I need tissues. But it's just a great, if you've seen it before, pretend you haven't. All right. Because it just, it just really touches. I pray it will touch you at the very core of who you are, and give you a very visual example of how God sees you. All right. So that's that's in a minute or two after we've just looked. So significant people in the New Testament. Anybody want to name one? John. Jesus, yeah. Paul, yeah. Any more? Luke, yeah. Yeah. Judas. <laughs> He's significant, you know. He gets bad press, doesn't he? He does get bad press. <laughs> Who else? Is that, yeah? There's all sorts of them, right? Okay. New Testament. That's only the first bit, right? The rest of the book is a living book. And we're in these chapters. Right? We're in these chapters. Okay. But there's somebody who's in, in the chapters that I've got here in front of me. We're going to look at for a minute. And just pretend you, pretend you don't know. Okay? I keep saying that, but I have to. Okay. So you need to go to Matthew. Let's see if I've got a marker. Boom, boom, boom. Matthew, yeah. And there's these 12, you know, special pals that Jesus has put around himself. Okay. He's got, yeah, tax collector. Yeah, perfect. Fisherman. Perfect. <laughs> um, and Peter, bless him, just is amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, assuming, let's, can we assume that Matthew, in his, in his account of Jesus' life, was accurate in terms of chronological order. Okay, so if we look at something that happens in chapter 16, it occurred before something that happens in, you know, a few chapters further on. You're all right with that? Nobody's going to disagree with me on that score. Because this is like David all over again. Okay, Peter... So they're having this incredible discussion in chapter 16 of Matthew. And Jesus 
asks them this amazing question. So if we start at verse 13. Now Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they, we don't know which ones it is, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But who do you say I am? I mean, come on, let's just, let's just, right, okay. You are one of the special group of 12, right? You've got the main man here. You've got JC, son of, right, well, you've got this incredible guy. You're like, do you really know who he is? Have you really like, I mean, it, he's doing all sorts of weird things. <laughs> and he's, he's teaching you all sorts of weird stuff. Right. It's weird, isn't it? Come on. You know, I mean, we read it now and think, oh, that's all really nice. It's all really nice. But no, actually, if you were there at the time. OK. And he's let's um, let's say you were you went to the wedding. Right. You went to the wedding at Canaan. Great. We're going to a wedding. Come on. Let's go to a wedding. We're going to a wedding. Jesus is get, get Go to this wedding. And 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 you're one of the guys who says, take that jar that you know is full of water, right, and give it to the master of ceremonies because he's run out of wine, right? Do you really want that job at that point? Okay? Because you know they filled it with water. And Jesus is saying to you, go give it to the guy who looks after the wine. Water, wine. I mean, you read it now, you think, oh, that's a nice story. No, it's not. Just be, you know, unless you've had some incredible, like, spiritual transplant at this point, and you have ultimate faith and whatever, you are actually, I'd like to suggest, slightly scared. Maybe. Maybe, just a little bit. And you're like, I don't look, I don't look. Because if I look and it still looks like water, then what do I do? Right? And you rehearse in your head the excuse that you're going to give to the master of ceremonies. Right? Now, look, this is nothing to do with me. Oh, don't shoot the messenger. Okay. That guy over there, Jesus, told me to bring this and give it to you. I know that that guy over there put water in it. But Jesus seems to think now it will be wine. I mean, come on. Do you want that job? Here am I. Send Phil. You're like, you'd all be backing off then when Jesus is looking for who to give the jug to, you know. Don't give it me, don't give it me. <laughs> Just, oh, you're on a hillside, you know. And there's a little kid there with his lunch. You know, the great, oh, aren't they lovely stories? Aren't they lovely stories? No. I mean, they are, but they're like, if you were there, like, scary stories. Okay? They're scary stories. So it must have been at least an interesting sort of way of life living with Jesus. I read a testimony this morning, which I'll just share with you. A friend of ours, Ian Andrews, is supporting a missionary in Madagascar. So this, we're not in the Bible times now. Well, we are in the Bible times, we're just in chapter whatever it is of whatever book is being written now. Right, this is current. This is 
So she's a missionary to, you know, she's just looking after the, the kids on the dumps and everything in, in Madagascar. She's just loving the poor and everything, right? And um, she feels God say to her, um, go and buy 300 kiddies toothbrushes, right? Because, you know, lots of the poor kids just don't clean their teeth. So she's obviously got some money, so she goes along to Boots and, <laughs> and buys clears them out. I'd like 300 kiddies toothbrushes. Right? And then she said, okay, God, what do, I, what do you want me to do? So he says, right, take 100 and go and give them away at the garbage dump. I think that was the garbage dump. So she finds 100 kids and here you go, here's a toothbrush. Right? And then the next day, God says to her, all right, go and give 100 to some other group over there. And then she says to the, um, so let's do the math. Okay. Bought 300, I've given away 200, I've got 100 left. So she says to her friend, the pile of toothbrushes doesn't seem to be going down. Should we count them? So she counts them. How many toothbrushes are there? 300. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I bought 300, I've given away 200, I've got 300 left. (laughs) So Peter's in the middle of all this, okay. Who do you say I am, Jesus says. And Peter, ever, you know, come on, I'll tell you. He says, Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answers him, blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied of you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And from now on, you will be called Peter the Rock, and I'm going to build my church. Okay, and so it goes on. And I'll give you the keys. And Peter gets this like one-on-one personal prophecy from, from the man himself. Boom, boom, boom. I mean, come on, just, you think, okay, Peter. That's it now. Your life is mapped out, okay? So you're Peter, and you've had this incredible prophetic word given to you. Not by, no disrespect, Colin, but Jesus himself, right? Okay? All that I love Colin's prophetic words, right? So you'd think then, well, okay, Peter's like, he, he knows how to behave now, doesn't he? He knows how to behave. He knows what to do, what not to do. And yet when it comes down to it, pretend you don't know. When it comes to the crunch, having had the man himself prophesy to him and tell him his future, Peter says, Jesus? Who's he? Never heard of him. No, no, you got the wrong guy. Now you think, hang on a minute. (laughs) And then you get all self-righteous, don't you? Because you think, well, if I'd have had a personal prophecy from Jesus, there's no way I would have denied him. (laughs) You think, oh, well, hmm, let's not, let's be careful. Okay. But the point is, you you can have the prophetic word, right? You can have the encounters, you can see all the miracles, you can feed 5,000, you can do that. And you can still deny him. You can still, right? You can have a bad day, 
you have a really bad day. I mean, in terms of bad days, that was it, Peter. That was a pretty bad day. You know, flip the coin, yes or no? No. And yet, as we see later on when you read, you know, Jesus meets him on the beach. Hi, Pete, how are you doing? Come on. Let's, let's do something about seeing that kingdom that I said you were going to establish. That, you know, that church that I said you were going to, you know, be instrumental in building. Let's get on and do that. Now, we would be going, this is, this is Jesus' opportunity to go. Now, Pete, you remember that day the other week? You know, when I'd, I'd been like whipped and beaten and all that stuff. And, and you were standing by that little fire. Do you remember that day, Pete? And Pete's beginning to feel a bit uncomfortable at this point. <laughs> oh, gosh, I know what's coming. I know what's coming. And you're rehearsing what on earth you're going to give as an excuse as to why you, why you denied him. But it never happened, did it? Never happened. And I'm not saying that to give you permission to go and behave stupidly. Right. But what I am hopefully saying is, even if on occasions we do, we need to be able to rest assured that God's plan for our lives is still God's plan for our lives. His anointing on us is still there. Right? And no matter how hard we try to derail it, actually, he wants it more than we do. And he's done everything necessary for us to live in as much of the fullness of his plan as we want to. Because we are magnificent. We are the ones he has chosen to lavish his love on. No matter how uncomfortable we might feel from time to time, no matter how unworthy we might feel for whatever reason, the reality is, whether we like it or not, we are the object of his affection. We are the apple of his eye. We are... The ones, you know, all these, none of these metaphors work because, you know, Jesus does, doesn't put his head on the pillow at night thinking, oh, how I love. You know? But if he did, right? Could you imagine Jesus going to sleep thinking about you? I'm feeling, oh, I just so love put your name. Because he does. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.